Welcome to the RSP cast, and this is a fun episode that I know I'm going to be disappointed with severely because it's not going to last long enough. I can just pretty much say that right off the bat um, because I get to have a reunion with my buddy Jay Moyer here, and if there's one person that I would like to be able to have a conversation about running backs with on the internet, this is the guy. So I am, you know, I've been looking forward to us exchanging takes and talking about these players since probably November. <laughs> so we finally get that time. We get about you know, probably about 50 minutes to do this. So right off the bat, Jay, um, you know, first of all, I know that you got, you know, over at FF Astronauts, you guys are have a draft guide coming out. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, first, uh, I just want to say thanks for the the flattering words. I'm, you know, been looking forward to this day. Also, nothing better than talking running backs with you, my friend. Um, yeah, we're putting together a draft guide over at ffastronauts.com. Uh, myself and several other contributors. Uh, you, you may know them from Twitter, Jetpack Galileo, who does an excellent job scouting receiver. I mean, scouting everything in general, but really has a great eye for receivers tight ends so he's doing the bulk of the film review there uh have a few analytics guys contributing as well ryan keeney is leading that group uh he's at rb keeney on twitter uh you know i think it's coming together nicely not quite as as deep as the opus that is the rsp um That's and you still know worth more... checking out it's still no, definitely no. worth checking out so yeah, a little a little more focused on the top end guys, uh, first few rounds, but you know, brings in different components of film review, um, uh, analytics, looking at their production profiles, etc. You know, you and I are big on the film review, so I'm like, I don't even know if we need that other stuff, but I, I think it's I think it's coming together nicely. I think it'll be a fun thing to do and uh, for the the readers to check out. Okay, well, great. Well, where where can you find that at? What's the website? Uh, so the website is FF, as in fantasy football, astronauts. So ffastronauts.com. Um, you can also get it through the FF Astronauts Patreon. Uh, so a couple ways to access it. Uh, and it will be released on April 15th. So we're putting the finishing touches on it now. Uh, and then we'll have a post-draft update once we find out landing spots for a lot of these guys. I love it. So you basically you'll have something to look forward to after you pay your taxes. So I think that's a, I think that's a great way, to, <laughs> a great way to recuperate from that. If any of y'all feel the tax day blues, but, um, but listen, we're here to talk running backs. I want to know right off the bat because I see, I, the, the most visible thing I seem to catch of you every time is you writing about, um, Travis Etienne. I want to know, like, what is it about Etienne that you, that you like what is it about him that you're just not feeling yeah so Etienne for me is a bit of a head scratcher when I watch the film uh not that I don't think he's a, a good player I do I think that he is a guy who will be you know he'll be a player in the NFL he'll be a contributor in the NFL but and I think it's because he really burst onto the scene as a freshman and he's been around for a while and obviously Clemson has been really on the main stage uh but, you know, really has had a lot of hype, although I, I don't know necessarily that his hype is that out of control, because I think a lot of people have questions about him that they see on film. You know, he's not he didn't measure as fast as I think a lot of people assumed he would. Um, but 
when I watched his film, I think that he measured about how fast I thought he would. Uh, he he has great acceleration and burst, but I think his top end was always a little bit exaggerated. Uh, and you know, it's something you taught me actually in, in terms of how to assess speed is just looking at guys relative to other players by position. You know, really being cognizant of what position the defenders are playing. Is he outrunning defensive backs? Uh, is he easily outrunning linebackers? You know, what's the tackling angle? Is he outrunning angles that usually would get guys down? Uh, so, so his, you know, calling car really, which was the speed, I thought was always a bit overrated. Uh, and I think for me, the biggest, the biggest concern I have about his game is his ability to deal with tacklers. I think he's just very poor through contact. Uh, you know, he, he does something that I saw a lot from Kalen Ballage which is really decelerate when he sees contact coming. Um, and he's not that agile, not very elusive. And so when you're not elusive and, you know, you're not willing to get the pad level down, work with pad angles, some of that micro movement stuff we talk about, you see him sort of slowing down and trying to spin off a lot of tackles, even in traffic. And one, I don't think it's that effective. Two, I think it's dangerous for injury. Uh, and three, I think that it's it puts the ball at risk because you're getting hit from all these different angles that you're not used to, especially when you're spinning in traffic. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's really my biggest concern with him is just the skill through through contact, skill through collisions. Yeah, and it's interesting because I saw one of him in the open field that you that you you know end up of him catching a pass in the open field like in the left flat where he just gets hammered, you know, in a one on one situation where it looked like he wasn't able to really handle what he needed to do in space there. Um, you know, I do, just out of curiosity, because you brought up micro-movements, who's a guy that you feel like has good micro-movement in this particular class? In this particular class, uh, a few that stand out, I think Javante Williams does. Um, a guy who I don't think a lot of people think of as being someone who has skill in collisions is Michael Carter. Uh, you know, he does it in a different way, but he's very precise with his pads. Um, and he's not a guy who's going to run guys over like Javante is. Um, but just in terms of, you know, finding a crease and picking up an extra half yard or yard when he's getting tackled. Uh, I think Trey Sermon is very good at it as well. Another guy who is just very precise with his pads uh, and his feet as he's working in traffic. So those are probably the three that stood out to me the most. I think Najee has flashes, um, but it's a little bit more of a macro mover in terms of, you know, bigger jump cuts, more dramatic movements. Uh, but I think that he's he's developing, you know, that that fine tuned precision. Uh, and that's one thing that I want to see him develop more as he goes into the pro game. Yeah, I think Khalil Herbert has a little bit of it. And I think that um, Larry Roundtree shows flashes of it in his game. He was a guy that I actually got a little more excited about the more I watched his tape as if you were going um, chronologically, which was kind of funny because I went in reverse chronological order with him. And I was like, by the end of the season, I, I was watching the end of the season. I'm going, wow, this guy's pretty darn good. And then as the season went along, I noticed that he was like, it was like as I watched more tape and I was going backwards, there were things that he needed to improve upon. And so then I had to go back again and just kind of make sure what I was seeing was in reverse order. And that, and that was the case. Like he actually showed some improvement 
but you could see some of that skill with his pad level to be a little bit more precise. I liked how he used his feet. He was a little more efficient to bounce in and out. Like there's a play I highlighted um, on the site this year with what would Frank Gore do? And it was a thing about Anthony McFarlane where basically he took a loss against the Jaguars. And I, I was asking this question aloud one afternoon when I saw that play. And then like I I pulled up a, a, a game the next day. It was Frank Gore in the same afternoon, but later in the afternoon playing the um, Chargers, I think. And on the first play of the game, he encountered a very similar situation as McFarland and gained like eight to 10 yards on the play. And it was because he was efficient with his feet. He wasn't, you know, and I think the, the thing that you and I both value very much about running backs is that it's great when a guy can make really wide jump cuts and have great top end speed, but and and have the physical skills you're looking for of a dynamic mover. But if they don't know how to use it, they don't know how to really use it in the context of how a play is supposed to be run and in ways that they can be efficient because they don't want to overuse it and overreact and jump themselves out of an opportunity to gain more yards or move themselves out of that opportunity, then what use are they? It's like cooking where like, you know, you have a pan and, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you could buy the pan that's $800 more, but if this one works well and you know how to cook with it, you know, why are you going to go overboard with that? Especially if you buy that $800 pan and you don't know how to cook and you burn the crap out of it. So, <laughs> so those are guys. And I'm glad you brought up Sermon because I would, thought I was, a, I, I mean, I don't know where you stand on him and I can't wait. I've been wanting to ask you this because like I obviously have him a lot higher than most people. And I hadn't seen anybody really talk about him at the time that I came on Ross Tucker and was like, he's my number one back. Um, and so I was curious. I saw you do a, I saw you do some videos and I could tell that you liked him. At least there are a lot of things that you liked about him. So I've been kind of waiting to see what you think about him. Yeah. So first let me touch on, on this, what you just talked about with, uh, cause this is something that I really want to emphasize. Uh, with you know the the more dramatic movements, what we talked about with micro movement. So I know a lot of listeners of your pod are familiar with that idea of micro movements. I don't think it's talked about very much in running back analysis at all. In fact, yeah. really anywhere when you're watching an NFL game or breakdowns of running backs, uh, and, and the idea is really just you know where does the running back put his pads? Just little subtle movements can give you the advantage on arm tackles, tackling angles. Uh, and maybe it's breaking a tackle and running for a long gain, or maybe, like I said, with you know Carter, it's picking up an extra half yard or a yard, and those gains just add up over time. Uh, but but for me, when you look at NFL running backs, where people are scratching their head and saying, "Man, I can't figure out why this guy is not as successful as I thought he would be," you know, he's such a great athlete. He has this amazing highlight film coming out of college, and for me, those guys tend to, or almost exclusively, are the the big, dramatic, explosive jump cutters like a Saquon Barkley is probably the best NFL player example of a guy like that. Uh, but you have guys like Mon uh, David Montgomery, Saquon Barkley, Joe Mixon, who really have you know all the athletic ability in the world. But then when you look at their numbers, they're not quite as productive running the ball as you would think, despite having some very, very impressive highlight runs. And I, I think just in the NFL – defenses are so efficient and so fast that if you have to really stop your forward momentum at, to move sideways to break a tackle, 
it just is it's really tough to do that consistently in the NFL and not get caught by pursuit. Um, so you know, I'm I'm much bigger on running backs like Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara. Uh, you know, I've heard you talk about the term curvilinear uh, acceleration or just curvilinear runners, meaning these guys aren't making these big. You know, it's not like a stair step pathway. It's more vertical. There's always a vertical component to where they're going, even when they're eluding guys. And it's actually, you know, Dalvin Cook, you know, NFL Game Pass, they do these interviews with players where they talk about, you know, they break down film with someone from NFL Network. And Dalvin Cook was talking about, like, when he figured it out, when it all clicked for him, what it was was he just said, I'm going sideways too much. I need to just go forward as fast as I can. (laughs) And he's breaking down film, and you see him, he's just accelerating, and, you know, it's, it's all curvilinear. There's no deceleration. There's no... You know, yeah, in the backfield, he has great patience and he may take little subtle jump cuts there, but there's nothing that's big or really outside of his frame that's slowing down his forward momentum. And I think that that's really a huge concept for me and something that I really value in running backs is just the ability to to defeat tacklers without having to get really sideways, without having to go to the side, side to side. Yeah, and uh, before you go forward, because I want to ask the rest of the question, but I want to comment on a couple of things if you don't mind, which is, one is that two guys who have that are Sermon and Herbert. They have that curvilinear movement in their game that's pretty good. And then I love what you talked about with the shoulder pads and how people have issues sometimes with understanding why running backs don't get more yards or aren't more productive. And you see it with pad level where it's like you talked about that. Like there are some instances where you want to ride over the top of a defender and other times where you want to get under the defender. And there's there's a kind of a lost art sometimes for backs to know how to do that and and to be able to, you know, hit down with their pads in a way where they can extend over the top or where they can get their pads down lower and slide underneath a hit and not take a lot of contact or curve their pads in a way so that just at the right moment, they are delivering the hit first and being able to slide through that. Like Ezekiel Elliott's great at that. You know, he's just, he's the king when it comes to being able to just make that slight little move where he's just delivering the punishment and then getting through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Matt, we're on a camera here. So Matt can see me nodding along. And it's funny because we go through these, you know, Matt and I have been doing pods now together on and off for the past few years. But, it's just always so in sync. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of examples. Okay, how can I paint a picture of what it looks like? And the guy that I was going to say who you want to watch to understand what we're talking about micro-movement was Ezekiel Elliott. And <laughs> here Matt is. Ezekiel Elliott's great at that. And you, you watch him, and it's just little subtle turns of the shoulder and the hips. And then, you know, my, my counter example to that is a guy like James Conner who's very strong, very powerful runner but he takes a lot of square contact. And so with, with Zeke, he's really controlling the way that he's tackled and he doesn't take a lot of punishment and guys who don't have that micro movement in my experience observing, they tend to be the guys who get banged up a lot as the year goes on, because like you said, you know, by dictating the terms of the collision and how you're getting tackled, where you're getting tackled, you just have a lot more control over how you land, where you get hit. Um, And I think it's a really important skill for durability even you know maybe even more than the extra yardage you gain uh so yeah and jamal charles was that way he had a long career as a light dude who you watch him back in his days even at texas 
Um, and he would he'd lower his pads into a defensive tackle, but it was in such a way that he'd get that flash of that quick hit first and then just spin right off it and avoid the brunt of the contact. Whereas like a Tevin Coleman can go 20, 15 yards downhill and drop his pads and like fall backwards because he, he doesn't know how to use them. Yeah, a couple more great examples. And, you know, people may say, well, Jamal Charles had all these injuries, but his injuries were, were all non-contact. You know, he tore his ACL. Not not anything having to do with really getting tackled. One time running out of bounds, another time in the backfield, if I remember correctly. Um, so you do have those sort of freak-type injuries, but just the, the contact injuries, you know, the separated shoulders, the sprained ankles, um, you know, stuff like that, broken ribs, et cetera. Uh, I, I think that it's really big to be able to dictate dictate the terms of the collision. And, you know, getting back to Sermon uh, after the long detour. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the fun part of this. So Sermon Sermon was, was fun for me because obviously, you know, he started out at Oklahoma. He ended up transferring to Ohio State after he sort of fell out of favor in Oklahoma. And I, had, I was actually watching Ramondre Stevenson before I watched Trey Sermon. And we can talk about Stevenson, Please. but, um, you know, I, I saw his appeal for an Oklahoma offense because he's really an excellent pass protector and they run this sort of wide open spread offense and Lincoln Riley, when they added him out of junior college, talked about, they wanted a bigger back. And I think big backs are often effective in those, those spread shotgun attacks, um, especially just in the sense of, you know, protecting the quarterback, um, but the issue I saw with Ramondre is just his ability to read the second level. I thought he was often just sort of got tunnel vision on his primary read and would then sort of get surprised when secondary tacklers came to tackle him. And, uh, you know, in addition to the contact stuff we just talked about, something else I really like to look for in running backs is just their processing between the tackles. Are they a step ahead of the defense or a step behind? And, and so that really stood out to me with him. And then I watched Sermon, who had sort of been pushed out of favor for Stevenson, and it was it was just the opposite in terms of how they <laughs> how they process. Um, and and I mean Sermon is just really really a fast processor. He's a step ahead. I had broken down one of his best runs of the season, which came in the college football playoff against Clemson, where and I described it as as sort of like being in the Matrix, you know, Keanu Reeves dodging bullets. And it just really slows down for him because his eyes are so active and he's seeing defenders coming, you know, from behind him, from the side, because one, he knows, he knows his initial assignment. He's aware of where the defenders are. Uh, I bet if, you know, I haven't had a chance to interview him, but certain running backs, when you hear them interviewed, talk about, oh, you know, I know if this linebacker goes this way, I have this other guy coming from here and this other guy coming from here. And it really is just instantaneous how they process. And it's, I mean, really one of the most remarkable things I think that <laughs> that people do is just process that that quickly, uh, which is why I like watching running back so much. Um, but, you know, really just has that ability to process multiple defenders at once and break tackles and evade players that you really wouldn't think that he even had would have the ability to know they're coming. And then on top of that uh, awareness, he's also very flexible Um really is good at using his pads. Like we talked about, he's, he's very precise. So 
you know, for me, he's just very efficient. He's a very efficient runner. He does a lot of things well. Uh, he's going to get what what the plays block for and often more. Uh, I think in terms of just his overall evaluation, the thing that concerned me the most was his uh, his just his burst and top end speed. Like he's he's not a guy who's going to be out running angles. He, you know, he ran a four six ish at his pro day. Who knows what that means? I'm not a huge running back forty time guy, but I do think in the NFL that having burst, uh, you know, is a, it's not having a good burst is not it's not like a death sentence, a fatal flaw. Like you can still be a very good player. Like Le'Veon Bell was not a big bursty explosive running. I mean, he's, he's big, but he's not a bursty explosive running back, and he had success, uh, you know, because he he's refined in how he plays the game. And I think Sermon can – I don't think he is like Bell exactly, but I think he can sort of do a similar thing with a similar level of athleticism because he is so refined in other aspects of his game. Uh, so it may limit uh, his ability to really be like a top running back in the NFL, but I don't think it will limit his ability to be an effective NFL running back. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that with you, it, you know, with what you're saying there. and. It's interesting because it, then it comes down to when you look at some of the analytics with it. I know we look at film, but I like to, I certainly like to look at the numbers to see how do I resolve how this this works to the field. Like um, um, DeAndre Swift last year, you know, if you before a lot of times you would have looked at him and you could easily mistake it for saying that he had a lot of he had great burst, but he didn't have great long speed. And then you read, and then you see his workouts, and it was like his forty was pretty darn good, but his his twenty shuttle wasn't all that strong. His three cone drill was pretty good, but like, and I've always kind of equated that twenty shuttle as that initial burst, that like that that ten yard. I know you can look at splits too, and the splits are probably even more accurate. The ten yard split is probably more accurate in terms of that. But seeing how a guy moves and can kind of change direction within a 10 yard radius of where they are or five yard radius of where they are. And, and to me, the 40 kind of shows more of what happens in a straight line, you know, once they get into the open field. And so when you look at a guy like Sermon, it's interesting because I think a guy who does an RAS score, um, I'm trying to remember his name, Kent Platt, who's on there and he does the RAS stuff. He had Sermon at a nine out of 10, which is like in a very rare number for, a, for running backs based on what he's done. And a lot of it was based on the other athletic components of his game. But I feel you. I love the Le'Veon Bell comp in terms of stylistically, not exactly how they run, but, you know, how they get it done. You know, it's not going to be done by just speed and necessarily top end burst overall. But how do you look at that? Like, do you do you look at those numbers? What do you like to look at to to kind of reinforce what you see on the field, if at all? Uh, what I like to do is use the numbers to grade my film watching. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to peg guys in terms of what I, what I think their numbers will be. And then it's really just to calibrate my, my film watching eye, I guess I would say. Yeah. Because I'll say, well, you know, this guy looks like this. I think that he's a four or five guy or he's running a four, four or whatever. And then I like to go through and see what they actually run. Uh, I mean, beyond that, it's really just, I mean, probably 99% of what I do with running backs is just based on what I see on film. Um, Love it. 
and, and then the numbers are just confirmatory or if something's very different than what I noticed, then I'll go back and watch uh, and say, you know, maybe there was something about the competition level that I misevaluated or, you know, maybe I didn't see it quite correctly the first time. Or sometimes the guy will post a, a, a score or a number and I'll go back and that doesn't jive with what I saw on film and I'll go back and watch and say, nah, I think I trust more what I'm seeing on the film. And I think the times where that's happened, when guys then progress to the NFL, it seems to me that their skill in the NFL more closely matches what I see on the film in college than a number that may be uh, divergent from what I, you know, what I thought it would be. So just over the years, I've learned to rely more and more on the film. Uh, like Swift is a great example because I saw the same thing on film where he he really accelerated quickly in college, um, but it didn't seem that once he got up to the top end, he was really se- se- separating from defensive backs. And his numbers when he measured were a little bit different than I thought they would be. But then when I saw him last year, it was really – he was the same player that he was at Georgia where he you know really can accelerate, really get around a corner – uh, you know, which is very impressive for a guy his size, but then not quite that top end. And then, you know, the biggest issue I have with his game comes down to some of that refined, like manipulation of second level defenders, stuff like that. Um, but while I love Adrian Peterson, I'm glad they got rid of him because to be honest, while I was watching him this year in Detroit, I felt like he was picking up habits that Adrian Peterson has as a runner, like mimicking him. And I'm going, dude, that's not your game. Like the hard plant and jump cut, Adrian Peterson lives and dies by that. You can't do that. You, that's not your game. And it was like, it was very evident, like the Jacksonville game, where like when he didn't do that, he had some success. When he was trying to do that, it was very hit or miss. It wasn't even hit, it was mostly miss. And yeah, so that was fascinating. But. I'm the same way with as you. Like it's like when I, I look at the numbers and I think, okay, can if they differ from what I thought, can I explain? Can I go back on the film and those numbers explain what I'm seeing? Like can I, and if they don't, is it because the number is accurate to the film and I just didn't and I needed a second look, or is it because the number? really isn't accurate to the film. And a guy who we just talked about, but I'm wondering about is the, is Ramondre Stevenson a little bit, you know, there's a guy who lost 20 pounds while he was playing there. And, and, you know, being a Juco guy, it's not like you're going to have the top notch facilities. And then you come to Oklahoma and it's in the middle of COVID. So you probably aren't getting access to everything at that time. Everything was probably up in the air. So, do you think there's a possibility that this guy could get faster or get get a little twitchier mainly because maybe he didn't have the access to the type of um, physical development that he might get in the NFL within a year or two? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I would say that that's possible. If I were, you know, if I were an NFL evaluator, what I would like to do with him is figure out if that was a factor uh because, yeah, like you said, you know, his weight discrepancy in terms of what he was listed at as a player and then what he weighed in at uh, in the draft season is so different. So to, just to figure out the story behind that. Um, yeah, he literally worked on it. Like he said, they said he he consciously lost 20 pounds during the season. Yeah, so 
I mean, you know, it's just one of those situations where you want to gain a sense for, you know, why, why did that happen? Um, is it just, you decided to revamp your body mid season? Did you not have access to lifting materials? Did you have sort of an aha moment where you realize that, Oh, if I want to make it, I really need to take better care of my body. Uh, because you know, that would then shade how you factor that into your evaluation as you move forward. Uh, because obviously his story is not one of being, you know, the five-star recruit who starts as a freshman in a power five school and has, you know, three years of production and then enters the NFL. So with those guys, what I would, what I wish I had access to and what I would do if I were actually doing this for a living is really try to dig into that as far as the people that know him and interview him, interviewing him myself. Uh, because I think that he is a guy that, you know, physically obviously belongs in the NFL very strong he's a big player uh and i I think that he's he might be the best pass protecting running back in the class yeah and in a pass heavy nfl teams are going to be very interested because of that and it's not just because he's big he understands leverage um you know i mentioned his issues processing as a runner he doesn't seem to have those issues processing in pass protection he's actually very aware of you know twisting linebackers etc uh was very was very uh assignment sound and then strong and aggressive. So, you know, I think if he just develops a little bit more of that efficiency as a runner, because he also is sort of a side to side guy and he's not that fast. Like he's more elusive than he is. Yeah. He flips his hips. Great. He flips his hips. Great. And has really fluid feet, but you're, yeah, I hear you on that front. No, it's, it's amazing really to see a guy that big do that. But my concern then goes to the NFL when you have these faster defenders. I haven't really seen the slower, bigger guys win with elusiveness. Right. You know, the guys I've seen win with elusiveness, it's like Barry Sanders. Like this guy's running a four three, can, you know, accelerate like like crazy. Um, so just in terms of using his body weight a little more for power, because he has such great feet, he has such great hips, that guys who can do that then do that. Uh, I just am not sure that that specific skill for him and his athletic profile will then carry over in the NFL. Um, but like I said, I mean, I think because of other things he brings to the table, he can be a very valuable player for an NFL team, even if he's not getting, you know, a hundred to 200 carries a year. Um, so, you know, getting an eye for his development, especially in the, in the physical sense and his story would be very important for me you know, as an NFL decision maker. Where are you on, speaking of guys who gain lost weight or you would hope they gain lost weight, where are you on Kenneth Gainwell? Well, let's start with where am I on weight? (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, a good question. Because, you know, for, for me, I think that often guys who are in like the low 200s, I think, you know, Christian McCaffrey is a good example. Uh, he had a lot of questions surrounding his weight going in. And I think if you have, like one of the main things I look for is just, does this person's playing style fit their athletic profile, fit their size, fit their speed? And so, yeah, if you're 200 pounds and you're you're sort of running like a thumper, I think a good example of this uh, is Jarrett Patterson from Buffalo. He's, you know, he's 5'6", 200 pounds, and he runs like a 220-pound running back. Um, you know, he's really a between-the-tackles guy. Uh, not that he's trying to run people over, but he's he doesn't play like a scat back. And so for that, 
like, well, is a guy who's that small going to be able to do that in the NFL? And it raises questions. Uh, but Christian McCaffrey won with, you know, quickness, uh, sort of tight space elusiveness, not big jump cuts, but being able to make guys miss in close quarters. Um, and then also just acceleration and obviously what he brings to the table as a receiver, you know, just his route running and stuff like that. So for me, I don't see weight as like, it's not like a range. Like, okay, I want my running backs to be 210 to 220 pounds. It's like, is this guy, if this guy's 200 pounds, do I think he has a skill set to where he can be effective? But then, you know, from when I'm projecting from the outside, it then does become sort of a red flag if a guy's small, because depending on who the coach is, you know, Jamal Charles is a great example. Andy Reid was willing to let Jamal Charles be a bell cow running back, even though he's right around 200 pounds. Some coaches in the NFL just won't do that. They'll have a guy who's small and they'll say, well, we need a big guy to be our early down runner. And so it, it might just limit their opportunity in the NFL. And I think that it, for running backs, it's not necessarily a meritocracy in the NFL. I think a lot of opportunity is based on sort of traditional stereotypical roles and also draft capital. You know, if a guy's drafted in the first round, he's going to get a lot of opportunity, whether he's a great running back or just an average NFL running back. Um, because I, I do think that the separation, you know, they t talk about running backs don't matter, all that stuff. I think the separation between the top guy and the middle, you know, the middle tier running back in the NFL is not as big as, you know, Devontae Adams and your average third wide receiver. Uh, for instance, there's just a much larger skill and talent discrepancy at different positions to where it's easy to take that first round running back and plug him in there, whether he's doing it or it's all the offensive line. Um, now, you know, I sort of lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. We were talking about Gainwell, like what you thought about him as a player. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good go. intro, but that's a good, that was a good precursor to that for sure. Yeah. So Gainwell, it's interesting because, you know, Tony Pollard is obviously, I don't like to compare guys to college to, to players from their same college, because I think that that is often just an easy comparison because you see them in a similar role and they're wearing the same uniform. Um, you know, Gainwell had the same role as Pollard pretty much when Pollard was at Memphis and now Gainwell's at Memphis. Uh, you know, we only have one year and he wasn't a running back in high school. He was quarterback. So with, with Gainwell, what I saw was a jack of all trades, a master of none. But I wonder, is that because he just didn't have much experience? Like he does show things in flashes where I'm like, he has real potential to be a refined player as a runner. Uh, and specifically like when he gets space and he has a second level defender and then, you know, he's working with a blocker or two in front of him. So things are spaced out, but he still has to manipulate the second level. He's very effective at setting up those, those players with his footwork. Now, when he's in tight traffic, it's a little, he's a little bit less consistent with that. But for me, when I think about a guy who's transitioning from a different position or just learning how to play the game at the college level. Like that is something that, that I think when you show the ability to do in the open field, eventually it'll come in those tight quarters as you get more experience, but he obviously opted out. So we didn't get this past year of film. So what I'll be interested to see in the NFL is does he, is he a little bit more efficient with his decision-making and a little bit more, uh, effective in setting up second level defenders when things aren't such a one-on-one -on -one situation with space. Um, 
because otherwise, you know, in the open field, I think that he really is effective, uh, not just in setting up those those tacklers and defenders, but also then, uh, you know, winning different ways. Like he's he's elusive without having to get uh, too sidetracked, like we've talked about now multiple times. He has a good stiff arm. Uh, he has just had a lot of ways to, to make guys miss, and he's not a powerful stiff armor, but enough to deflect in the open field. Uh, and then when you factor in what he did as a receiver, uh, you know, I still think he has some room to refine his routes. Some of the stuff I see and just his route breaks and how he sets up defenders, I don't think would fly in the NFL, especially if he's getting matched up with a defensive back. Um, but that, that he did this in his first year and they felt confident having him do this and he was effective at the collegiate level, again, has me optimistic that he'll be able to develop that more as he goes forward. And he's a, he's a guy that really I wish we could have seen play at least a few games this year, because I think he has a lot of development questions. Uh, but even if he is what he was in 2019, I think that he at the very least will be a good complementary role player, uh, much like what we see with, with Pollard, where, you know, you have the lead back and then you have a guy who's a little bit, uh, a little bit more elusive, a little bit more, you know, just bring something different to the table as a receiver. Um, and a little bit more of an open field weapon as opposed to the traditional between the tackles runner. Yeah, because I thought he was a crafty back for his age um, and experience level. I was a little worried about speed burst when I saw it. And then when, and what I was hoping was maybe because he's younger, maybe and smaller at like 191, maybe he'll add some weight that will make him twitchier. Maybe he, maybe he'll grow some, develop some of that muscle that makes him a little bit quicker. And when he showed up just four pounds heavier after a year off and was like his his shuttle, his his 20 shuttle was slow, like really slow. And it kind of matched some of the concerns I had with what I saw with his burst. I was like, I was really hoping to see a guy that I could say, this guy has kind of that Tiki Barber kind of like everything you look for could happen for his game. And he keeps building towards that. And then when I saw that, I'm like, I don't know. Is he the down? Now I start looking at the downside and say, what's the downside of that if it doesn't work out? Because it could still can. I'm not saying it won't. But I, I started thinking more about that downside because of that. And I thought, well, could he be a Ronnie Hillman back? That's kind of like just a little too light for the league based on how he runs and what the league would want to use him for. But I can see where he fits in between that. I think the Tony Pollard... Um, mention and reference is a good one for what he's about um i would like i've been asking you about guys all this time i want you to tell me who you want to talk about and just start talking about them <laughs> uh well i mean i think we got to talk about Najee. obviously the, i mean what i would call the consensus top running back in the class i, I think a lot of people are really sold on him and i i think that he is sort of an athletic freak uh just his you know he has great feet great hips and he's he's a really big running back uh and then i thought he was really excellent as a downfield receiver even when he'd line up out wide uh you know catching passes across the middle with his hands getting hit um so i was really most excited about what i saw from him as a receiver and then also in pass pro i think that he's a guy that really could have a similar role to what we saw Le'Veon Bell have. Yeah. I don't think that he's as refined of a runner as Bell. Um, and it's that issue of, of guys who are really good at going sideways tend to want to go sideways. Um, 
So what it ha- what happens is he has these highlight runs where he's breaking three, four tackles, but then you look back and it's like, well, he only gained six yards, you know, because a lot of those guys he made miss were pursuit guys where, you know, he's going side to side. But if he if he just develops a tad more efficiency, uh, and he, he shows flashes of this on film for sure, where he makes nice, efficient cuts, manipulating the second level, it's just not super consistent. So if he develops consistency there, I think he really has a high ceiling. Um, but if he sort of is what he is now, I see him as more of sort of like a middle tier starting running back. I, I mean, I definitely think he's he's lead running back quality player in the NFL. I just don't know that he'll be a star unless he really picks up his efficiency a bit more. Uh, and then also I'd like to see him go to a team that really utilizes him in the passing game, both as a blocker and as a receiver. Uh, because again, when you think about those like running back prototype archetypes, you don't necessarily think of the 230, 240 pound running back as a guy who's going to line up out wide and run a slant against a linebacker. But I do think he has that ability uh, both from a route as a route runner and then also catching passes in traffic, which is something I really look for for running backs um, because a lot of backs can catch swing passes when they're wide open. How many guys uh, are willing to catch or able to catch the ball when they're going to get hit by a linebacker across the middle? And he definitely showed that. Oh, and another thing about him that I just have to mention that I was probably my favorite thing about his game is he's just a super smart player. You can see there's an example. I forget who it was against, but it's like third and four. And he, he, there are two tacklers in the open field and he makes contact with the initial guy and sort of mid collision, you see him turn his head and look at the sticks and he gets like this X, he's like a half a yard short. He gets like this extra burst and carries the guy for half a yard, reaches out, gets the first down. Uh, so I think just the, the awareness and the, uh, the, I can't think of the word right now, the, just the football IQ is really there for him. So that is something that makes me very optimistic with his development. Um, with the caveat of, you know, he's a 23 year old now. So, you know, you can question age experience, what is more important for development. Um, but, but I'm optimistic with him. I don't know if you want to weigh in on, on Najee and, and how you see him. I mean, I'm with you. I think I'm a little bit more critical of his past skills, past re- not past receiving, but past blocking. But they're not things that are insurmountable. They're just things he's got. He telegraphs a little too much, um, drops his head a little too much, and, and gets in points where he's leaning forward and he gets defenders are like either swimming over him or push-pulling him and drop and dropping him in ways that's like way too quick. But he has good moments on tape for sure that you can tell that he's going to be fine. It's just, he's got to fix that pretty quickly. Um, yeah. I see. I, I've seen that same inconsistency and there's also an inconsistency, inconsistency with his physicality in pass protection. And I think both the technique and physicality leads to those things you're talking about where there are those reps where it really, really makes you scratch your head. Uh, but I, I think it's there for the development. Yeah. And I love the pass receiving skills. I'm totally with you with him there. Like to me, like I, I can't, just aesthetically, and it's such a minor thing. I'm just BSing about it more than anything. But like, I I can't stand the Matt Forte comp because Matt Forte was special in terms of much of a glider he was, and that's not Najee to me. But Najee is is certainly to me. He's like a higher potential Chris Carson. Like if you you've got a little more speed, 
He's got he's got more receiving skill, and Chris Carson has underrated receiving skill for a back that people say he has none. You know, yeah. and and Najee has a lot more than that. So I see him a little bit more that way. I've seen a couple of things that kind of I wonder about, but they weren't enough for me to be like a major concern. But in short yardage, sometimes I'll see him do what a lot of young backs do, trying to make a big play. He'll I've seen him literally retreat from um from a hole where it's like, oh, this is closed up, and he'll like back up and then try and work around. And and he just can't he's got to stop that. Um, but it's not anything where I look at him and go, that's going to take maybe, he's going to do that maybe two times in the game, one maybe in the preseason before like he's told if he ever does that again, um, he's not going to be playing and he'll, and he'll fix it right away. Um, but yeah, that's it for me on him. I'm, I'm interested in who else you got in as well as whatever else you want to say about him. Yeah, it's funny. I think that we're, we're seeing pretty much the same things. And I think the way you describe that with the short yardage stuff is essentially what I was talking about where guys who who are good at going sideways want to go sideways so or even backwards you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works it works against those high schoolers and the and the collegians who are not quite as athletically gifted as you are uh, but that's my concern about him and then I mean a guy that I just have to talk about because I love him uh, as a player you know he really checks a lot of the boxes I look for from just a craft and skill perspective is Michael Carter yeah um you know, it's funny because the first running back that I sat down to watch this offseason was Javante Williams. And so I was watching North Carolina for Javante Williams. And the first play, it's not Javante Williams. It's it's this other running back. And I'm like, who the hell is this other running back? It's not Javante. <laughs> because the, the way my process is, I really don't follow college football right. until the offseason. Like during the football season, 100% of my focus is on the NFL. Um so I start the off season with like, you know, I take off my blindfold. It's like, who are these guys? Um, and it wasn't just that Carter was the first guy on the field, which also was like, well, if Javante's so good, why is he, why isn't he even starting? Um, but it was also that the first few runs I saw from Carter, I'm like, holy crap, who is this guy? Um, you know, come to find out he is Carter. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really, and I'm not surprised that he's someone that gets a little overlooked because he is small. He's not extremely fast. And the things that he's really good at are the things that nobody ever really talks about with running backs. And it gets back to the micro movement, the ability to, I mean, I think his vision is just outstanding. And it's, he, you know, he's able to identify his primary read, but he'll also have be cognizant of those second level defenders and also have peripheral vision to where if something opens up where it's not supposed to, he's accessing that crease. You know, there are, there are examples of him running counter. So counter is a play where it's like, all right, this is your gap, you know, and the way North Carolina ran it, they're reading the, the end man on the line of scrimmage who's getting blocked by the pulling guard. And if that guy crashes down, the guard seals him inside and the run goes outside. If that guy gets a field, then the running back, you know, takes it sort of off tackle a field, more of an inside run. And so there's one where it gets sort of mucked up, but this this crease opens. I don't know if it's it's between the center and one of the guards. And it's just sort of out of out of his periphery, but just without any hesitation at all, you know, hits the crease, uh, outruns a linebacker and he's in the open field. Just extremely efficient, uh, you know, really a curvilinear mover. And 
what really stands out to me and something that I really look for is just the ability to be elusive without having to go sideways. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a guy who's really, really good at this in the NFL. And a lot of what Kamara does is just with balance, uh, you know, subtle body movements, like, you know, turning his hips or his shoulders a certain way, and then also changing his pace linearly. So going faster or slower in a vertical direction rather than moving side to side. And it's like with Kamara, it results in like, you know, you see defenders and you're like, what the hell? Why are they missing this guy? He's just sort of running straight down the field. And then you watch the replay and it's because he's accelerating and decelerating and the guys are just, it's, you know, it gets sort of like that matrix situation. So I think Carter, I don't, I don't think he's quite as good as Kamara at that, but he has flashes where he's able to make multiple guys miss and you sort of scratch in your head as to how he was able to do that. Uh, so I think he's going to be a guy who, if he gets an opportunity, will be very effective. Uh, I think, you know, a guy that I think is a good comparison is Aaron Jones, who's similar size, not that, you know, he doesn't measure as being that fast, but he's just so efficient with his vision and his footwork and his decision-making uh, that he's very effective. So I think, I think I hope Carter gets a real shot in the NFL because I think if he does, he'll be effective. I think that's the best comp I've heard for Michael Carter. Um, and I wish I used it um, because I had, I, you know, it's funny when I was looking at him, I thought I kept thinking about Clyde and I kept looking at Clyde Edwards Hilaire and I kept thinking, who would I rather have? And I kept thinking, I think I might rather have Michael Carter just by a little bit, you know? And I, and as we've talked, we both like Clyde though. We came from it from opposite ends to kind of be in the same place about him. But it's like, um, I really, but I just wonder about opportunity as being like how people are going to cast him. Are they going to try and cast him in that, that, that Jamal white or what's his name? James white role, or are they going to cast him in a Bernard type of role? Or are they going to give him the shot to be like an Aaron Jones type back? And, and I'll just add that. um, Yeah. If we could do a Kung Fu movie for running backs, you know, the, or, or like a, a, um, a kill bill type of version of for running backs, you know, um, Beatrix kiddo, the character would be working up and down those steps, carrying um, jugs of water with Alvin Kamara at the top of that thing, <laughs> you know, basically teaching her how to, how to move. But that's, another oh, I story. Mean, yeah, that, that guy is ridiculous. And I, you know, speaking of just crazy physical feats, I mean, I think the thing I like the most just sort of as a, I don't know if it's how important it really is. I mean, I I do think it's important for Carter. It's just when I watch him play, he just has such great feet. Like you, there will be, if there are bodies on the ground, he doesn't trip over those bodies. And a guy like Etienne will trip, you know, Chuba Hubbard, however you say his name. Yeah. He gets tripped up all the time. Michael Carter is tiptoeing through the tulips, man. This guy, I don't know how he does it really because he, He's not looking down at the ground. He's still focused, and he's able to. He you know, feels a defender at the stuff. back of his foot, and will lift his 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 oh, hip, yeah, his... heel to his ass, and like no, and it's, know it's, it's ridiculous. there. Yeah, the the perception is just fantastic. No, his yeah, his feet and just his ability to keep guys off his legs is just it's ridiculous. And I mean, for me, you know, when I see something like that, I'll just end up watching a guy because I'm like, oh, look at how he's tiptoeing through the yeah. <laughs> So I spent a lot of time watching Michael Carter because of that. And yeah, in terms of the comparison, the difference between him and Clyde, because Clyde is someone I, I like a lot. And I think that 
you know, the thing that stood out to me the most was his ability to manipulate second level defenders. Yeah. I think Carter does a little less manipulation, but I think it's in a good way because Clyde at the NFL level, what I saw is he was trying to do that a little bit too much. And with his athletic profile, then it's like that, you know, he's getting caught from behind. The holes are closing more quickly. So I think that was his biggest thing that he has to and had to learn as an NFLer is that you can't, you can't sit there and wait too long. You got to get going eventually because he had times where, you know, he got his lineman blocked into his face because he's trying to set up a second level defender. Um, Carter's aware of those second level defenders, but he's, he's a bit more of an attacker. He's not waiting for them to do something. He's setting them up and he's like, I'm not going to wait around for you. If you're not going to go, I'm going to beat you another way. Um, You know, I, I don't know that he, has quite the build that Clyde does to where teams will yeah well my 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 main hesitation is just how much will whatever team drafts him let him do where will he get drafted and how much will they let him do because I think that uh you know he's someone that really has a lot of potential so yeah I love this and I know we both got to go so we're going to continue this conversation probably after the draft with more guys and see what happens with them but just for as a teaser for that because I know we both have to leave just give me a name of someone who intrigues you that isn't in, in that list that that maybe you've seen that's you know not talked about a, a whole lot. Yeah, I think for me, someone that I, I was really interested with in the right fit is Jermar Jefferson out of Oregon State. Uh, he's a guy that really the 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 measurables didn't match up with what I saw on film because when he gets to the open field, I saw you know multiple times where he'd really accelerate and separate from defensive backs. Um, but you know he didn't time that well as in his 40-yard dash. But I think really with him, some of it might be just that he's so efficient with his footwork. He's a guy that is really anticipatory and gets north-south very quickly. So in like a wide zone scheme, you know, places like oh, San yeah. Francisco, I think that he, he really, you know, if he finds himself into the right place, he can be a very productive back. Yeah, um, I'm with you. I, yeah. He's a total glider, but I'm going to let you go here. I'm, I was smiling. If anyone didn't, you just saw, you saw me kind of looking down and smiling. I, my, my wife ordered dinner and I asked her to, to get something to drink for me. And she was being silly and literally army crawled when she knocked the door and like army <laughs> crawled in with the, with the drink, which was like one of the funniest things I've seen her do in all day, which, you know, for her is like, that's that's pretty high bar actually because she sets a high bar anyhow but but listen jay this was i think everyone's gonna love getting a chance to have us chop it up when it comes to these guys i know this was fun it was way too short um but we will do more of this for sure and you can find jay you know at jay moyer fb on twitter you can find him at ff astronauts be sure to check out their draft guide i'm just gonna be awesome i know i'm gonna check it out um, April 15th is when it drops. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I mean, we could talk running backs for, for hours, so this was really fun. I look for. I mean, I, I really hope we do get a chance to do it again after the draft. I think that, that would be a great conversation. No, so we will. Do it. We will. I know that we, we talk about stuff sometimes that just doesn't happen, but it's all, it's not because of intent. It's just things do. Um, but we will we'll make this happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For all, sure. Right. all right, man. All right. Always a pleasure. Same here. Take it easy. Yeah, see you later. All right.